Welcome to another episode of Behind the Pink Ribbon. I want to give a huge shout out to all of you that have subscribed, rated, and reviewed. Great reviews mean so much to us, like this one. Thank you for bringing this to the public. Women, both that have walked this path and those that have not, will benefit from hearing this podcast. I'm a fan. Thanks so much, Vega M. 1968. Speaking of benefiting from this podcast, this next episode is amazing. I had the chance to sit down with Laura Rasmussen in the podcasting studio. We talked about her having a clean mammogram in January and then finding out that she had breast cancer in August that same year. She shared not only the struggles that she experienced with the treatments, but also the impact that the side effects from her treatments had on her relationship with her husband. So let's take a listen in. Welcome to Behind the Pink Ribbon, where we share stories, information, and other content related to breast cancer. My name is Melissa Adams. I am a 12-year genetic breast cancer survivor. I've learned so much through my own journey with breast cancer. I have met some amazing people along the way, many that have become lifelong friends. I have experienced the emotional roller coaster of a breast cancer diagnosis, heartache, anger, frustration, loneliness, and even gratitude. Through this podcast, we will speak to breast cancer survivors, supporters, and healthcare professionals to gain insight and understanding behind the pink ribbon. I'm here with Laura, a 17-year breast cancer survivor from Phoenix, Arizona. I know Laura from the Phoenix Desert Dragons Dragon Boat Team. Welcome, Laura, to the podcast. Thank you. We appreciate you being here and being willing to share your story. We're going to just dive right in and get started, if that's okay with you. Fine with me. Awesome. Tell me a little bit about your diagnosis. How old you were? Uh, how did you find a lump? If there was a lump, or how did everything kind of come about? I'd had a clean mammogram in January, and I had to switch insurances. I had to go from a company-sponsored plan to a private plan, and because I'd had a biopsy on my breast in my early twenties, they excluded my right breast from any any treatment. Um, which didn't matter. I'd had nothing wrong with it for years. Subsequently, we lost a business because of the residual of 9-11. So I had to go back to a real job with real health insurance. And had I not had that, I'm not sure I would be here talking to you today. Um, my husband came home and said, oh my gosh, it's hot in here. This was August. And he cranked the air conditioning down, which made me put my arms across my chest and say, oh, I have a frozen pee in my boob. Oh. And that's how I found it. I'd been doing self-exam. I had a clean mammogram. I didn't think a whole lot of it. So I went to my doctor and said, I'm not sure what this is. Of course, I had good insurance, so I went to the doctor. And he said, I don't know what it is either, but I don't like it. So you need to get a diagnostic mammogram now. So So it felt like a pee? It was a tiny little frozen pee. It felt exactly like a frozen pee. Just a tiny little thing. Yeah. Okay. And it was under the surface. So that, otherwise right. I would have thought it was something like maybe a, like a cystic acne thing or a fibrocystic sure. thing, but it was, it was pea-like instead of fibrocystic mushy-like. So it was hard. <laughs> it was a frozen, frozen pea. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I ended up getting the mammogram and um, diagnostic mammogram and the radiologist said, well, I'm not, you know, I'm not sure, I'm not going to be able to say one way or another, but if your husband were here holding a gun to my head, I would say you have nothing to worry about. So I went about life, I started a new job, and four days later I got the call from my doctor that said, you need to come and see me. 
And I went in to see him and he said, you have breast cancer. And I said, no, no, I don't think so. I think you have the wrong person. The radiologist said, he said, no, you have breast cancer. And unbeknownst to me, he had called my home the night before and left a message on the answering machine with the diagnosis so that I could mentally prepare before coming to the office the next day. Well, my husband had listened to the message, not understood it, and deleted it. Oh, my god! So it's kind of a comedy of errors. So I don't think anything's happening. So what did you think about when you found out that he left that on your answering machine? You know, I was so shocked about the fact that I was diagnosed. I didn't even think about that part of it. That didn't even bother me. It was, so I called my husband and I said, well, I I have cancer. And and he said, no, you don't. I said, yeah, yeah, I do. (laughs) So I was leaving and the doctor's office and I, I got lost in downtown Phoenix. (laughs) I'm sure. I mean, I can only imagine kind of what's going through your mind after you had a radiologist say you had nothing to worry about. And then you have a doctor calling four days later saying, oh, it is breast cancer. (laughs) And I had started a new job on Monday. Yeah. I mean, I'm (laughs) sure there were lots of thoughts and emotions and confusion going on in your head. There was. Yeah. So I, when I, I said, okay, these are the streets I'm on, honey. Tell me how to get home. (laughs) I hope it, I'm sure he got you home. (laughs) You're still, you're still here. You're still here. I don't think he said, I don't know where you are. (laughs) So eventually I figured it out, got home and, um, you know, had the pity party and the shock and all that stuff. And the next day I called my employer and our corporate office was in Boston. And I I said, well, I, I, I've been diagnosed with cancer and, you know, I, I know this is, I said, this is off the record between you and me, friend to friend. If you don't want to take this on and you want me to resign, just say the word. And this, you know, we didn't have this conversation and the HR manager said, we are an all-female company, and um, we will absolutely not ask you to do that. Wow. So um, I stayed with the company for a few more months. They, they sold the property, and so then I had new owners come in throughout the treatment process, which was very disconcerting, and I ended up leaving shortly after that. But the time I was there... Um, the corporate office sent me a fruit basket every month. So I was making sure I got my nutrition. I got a new, um, it was a retirement community. So I got a new executive director and she, she came in, we had a staff meeting and she's telling me about what her conversation with her husband was. She said, Jesse, my business manager has cancer and she's having surgery next week. What am I going to do? This place is a mess. What are we going to do? And he said, oh, you'll figure it out. And so she and I are still friends. Oh, wonderful. So let's go back. How old were you when you were diagnosed? I was, I had just turned 41. 41. And back then I was considered a young diagnosed, a person that was diagnosed. Absolutely. That is. This day and age, not so much. Yeah. You know, with people being diagnosed very young. Right. Yeah. It is definitely more common um, now than at that point in time. But yes, still very young um, to be diagnosed with breast cancer. And then in terms of stage, um, so you said it was a kind of the size of a pea. So what stage did they diagnose you with? It ended up being stage two, type two. Okay. There was more underneath the frozen pea. Okay. So, so what's the, what is the type two part of that? So stage two, I know is connected you know, to a certain centimeter tumor and then, um, 
Yeah, I don't really know what that type two meant. I, okay. I my tumor was two point two centimeters. Okay. Um, back then they didn't BRCA and all that genetic testing was just coming into being, because I have no children and I was adopted and I have no siblings that I know of. I did not. I couldn't get the genetic testing covered by insurance. Mm-hmm. I'm told now if I wanted to do it, I could. Um, I, you know, maybe I will, maybe I won't. But back right. then, it was not even an option. So okay. um, I don't know anything about that. I was estrogen receptor positive. Okay. And, you know, there's two different rules and thought processes on that. My one right. doctor who it believes in bioidentical hormones said, well, estrogen saved your life because it encapsulated your tumor and didn't let the cancer go anywhere else. And the other side of the fence said, no, no, too much estrogen caused your cancer. Right. So... So what was your course of treatment um, to address the cancer? Did you have a lumpectomy? Did you have a mastectomy? Uh, what did what what kind of took place? I had a lumpectomy, and then I had chemo, and I had radiation. And I okay. had traditional radiation, the gamma ray radiation. I had 36 treatments. Okay. So. And then in terms of the chemotherapy, how long did you do chemotherapy? Chemotherapy was four months and it was every three weeks, and I had adromycin and cytoxin, okay. red devil. Okay. I it still was... remember the smell. <laughs> yeah. Nothing replaces that smell. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, interesting how just kind of our senses bring back certain memories for us. Um, so in terms of the chemotherapy, um, what were some of the side effects that you experienced from the chemotherapy? Uh, my first treatment, I did get sick, and they had told my husband to take me out for Chinese, or not Chinese, but take me out for a good meal beforehand because I probably wouldn't eat for a few days. We went for Chinese. I couldn't eat Chinese food for another four or five years. The smell of Chinese food just about did me in. So I got sick my first treatment. Um, subsequent ones, I ended up getting, I, was, I lost all my hair everywhere. I did figure out how men can go from bed to door in 15 and a half minutes. When there's no real estate to deal with, it's shower and moisturize, go. (laughs) But um, so I lost all my hair and then I ended up getting um, like what I called icky sicky tummy syndrome on one treatment. I ended up getting these horrible mouth sores and sores all around my head. They looked like they, they almost looked like acne. But um, they were just, it's just the whole process of your body expelling toxins and poisons. And that hurt. That was, you know, swallowing, eating. It was just like, ugh. And um, the icky, sicky tummy syndrome was pretty much the, the, the majority of it. I worked the entire time through my treatment. Wow. I had my surgery on a Friday. I had to go to nuclear medicine on Thursday, so I left my office at like 2 o'clock, and I had to go through the nuclear part, the nuclear process, had the surgery the next day, insisted on coming home. I wasn't going to stay in the hospital, and I was back at work on Tuesday with a drain, with drain tubes. (laughs) You are one hell-bent woman. (laughs) Just going to do life. (laughs) Keep doing life. Wow. Um, and so in terms of losing your hair, um, kind of having that experience, I mean, you talked about, you know, kind of the positive spin of it in terms of <laughs> being able to get in the shower, kind of 
washing, moisturizing, and being out the door. <laughs> um, did you have any other feelings associated with that? I know for some people, it's hard for them to lose their hair. Um, some people are just kind of like, meh, you know, it's hair, it grows back. So did you have any particular feelings about that that you remember? One of my friends from Colorado, where I had moved here from, was about six months ahead of me with her cancer diagnosis. She had a much more aggressive form of cancer. And she called me and she said, no matter what you do, when you're in between your first and second chemo treatment, make sure you shave your head. Because she said, I was vain enough to think I wasn't going to lose my hair. And we were out for dinner one night and I leaned over to take a bite of my soup and this big clump of hair fell Mm -hmm. in my food. And she said, that did me in. So I took her advice and we went to the salon and I had a buzz cut and in between my sec- my first and second treatment, I kept looking in the bottom of the shower going, what is that? I'm not, I can't be that dirty. What is that? And I realized it was my little, my little nubs falling yeah. out. So um, it didn't really devastate me. I don't think I didn't really pay that much attention to it. I was working in a retirement community and that I, thankfully I went through chemo in the winter so I could just throw a, a do-rag and a hat on my head and didn't really, nobody really paid attention to it. But um, we had a Halloween party at our assisted living community. And um, I went as a biker chick, a bald <laughs> biker chick. And one of the residents said, wow, she really takes Halloween seriously. She shaved her head. They had asked that we not tell the residents that I yeah. had cancer. Some of the um, care managers and nurses knew, but None of the residents did. And so um, that was pretty funny, too. My, my then boss, the girl I'm still friends with, she dressed up as this great big, huge rabbit. Oh <laughs> so I've got a chain on my pants with a bald head, and nice. she's the big, fuzzy rabbit. <laughs> so in terms of, did you ever explore the option of a wig? I mean, I you shared that you had blisters on your head. I would imagine that would be extremely painful for a wig. Um, so d- was that ever an option that you explored at all? I bought one. I wore it, I think, four times. I still have it in my closet because occasionally I wear it for a Halloween costume. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was blonde and my husband said, well, that's a red wig. Let's try that one on. So I, I became a redhead for just a few, you know, a couple times. And um, it was very hot and very itchy. Even with the little skull cap that you wear underneath, it was extremely hot and itchy. And most people don't realize um, when you hit chemo, when you go through chemo, for some of us, it's instant menopause. And you're trying to deal with chemo and hot flashes and, you know, night sweats and sitting in an office dressed up in, a, in nice work clothes and having water just run down your back thinking, I have got to get this off my head. <laughs> I'm going to share this real quick because I it relates exactly to that. Not necessarily the wig part. Um, I did not have a wig on, but when I started having hot flashes, I remember being in my office and I literally stripped down um, in my <laughs> office thinking, dear gosh, please do not let anybody open this door because I will be in here half naked. Um, <laughs> so I get exactly what you're talking about. Um, the struggle is real. <laughs> for is. sure. Um, so... In terms of the radiation, did you have any side effects from that? What kind of impact did you experience from the radiation? Radiation, I say radiation kicked my butt. My radiation oncologist said, 
if you had had radiation first, you would be saying chemo kicked your butt. It's just depend because I, I really felt like I kind of flew through chemo. Yeah, I was, I was not feeling great, but radiation was every day at the hospital. And I hadn't told, oh, in, in between my chemo and radiation, the company that I was working for was sold. And um, there was some things that, that came up and I, I found another job, but I didn't tell my employer that I had cancer. I just, I figured I could get my radiation done. I would come in and be at work by 8.30 and nobody would know. And I, I didn't tell anybody. So, um, but the treatments were five days a week and um, you didn't want to miss. It, they were fast. I mean, you know, a minute or two, but the fatigue factor for me was killer. I, it was all I could do to drive downtown, go to radiation, go to work, drive home, maybe eat something and literally fall into bed. Halfway through my treatment, my parents came to visit and my mom made a bunch of meals and insisted, come on, we're going to sit at the table. We're going to have a family dinner. Um, and then she made a bunch of food to, for me to keep in the freezer after they left. And I don't think I would have made it through the second half of radiation if it hadn't been for my mom and dad coming out and just mm. saying, no, you're going to do this. Yeah. You're going to do this. You said. <laughs> <laughs> so you had radiation before you went to work. Yes. So assuming that you probably started around 8 a.m. ish. I, I was able to ask for um, 8.30 to 5 okay. with a half an hour lunch. Okay. And my radiation was at 7.30. I worked in downtown Phoenix and I was going for treatment in downtown Phoenix. Okay. So. Okay. And then, yeah. so did your employer ever find out that you had a diagnosis? Eventually they did, okay. yes. I mean, okay. at one point I, I finally just took the hat off or the wig off and wore a hat. And then HR came and said, you can't wear a hat in the building. And I said, okay. So I pulled on <laughs> Well, here it is then. Here it is. <laughs> yeah. And, and there, was... are, there are diseases that, you know, affect people where they have hair loss, but um, they just kind of looked and didn't really say anything because they really couldn't say yeah. anything. And um, my boss sat me down and she said, my, one of my nearest and dearest friends has cancer and blah, 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 blah. And I said, well, I'm going through treatment. And she said, oh. I, I didn't know that. And I said, no, I didn't divulge that in the interview. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Not something I'm going to list on my resume. <laughs> and uh, no, we, we, it was, I mean, I never missed any work. Yeah. So I, my performance was great. It was, you know, they were just like, huh, okay. <laughs> Yesterday she had long red hair. Today she's bald. <laughs> <laughs> it's called a wig. <laughs> so, um, in terms of, you talked about the fact that you had your mom and your dad, and so you had them as a support system, but they obviously were from out of town, and you talked about not having any siblings, so who um, who around you was your primary support system? Well, my husband, I mean, he's my ex now, but my husband was, but he did, he was uh, gone five days a week, so... As much as he could be, he was. Um, and then I have a couple girlfriends who really rallied around me, which, uh, again, I don't know. I mean, I didn't, I didn't let people in like I probably should have. Um, you know, women don't generally ask for help. And so um, I just kind of, I guess I just kind of, you know, plowed through it. <laughs> just, yeah. you know, it's going to be done. It's going to be done. 
um, one thing with my husband when I finished chemo and hadn't started radiation, he's like, well, good, you're back to normal. Let's just, let's, let's get on with life. <laughs> and I looked at him and I said, there's no going back yeah. to normal. We, we have to figure out new normal. Yes. And it was a struggle. It was a, it was very much a struggle. So, and so I hope you don't mind me asking, but in terms of him being an ex, was it related to anything with the cancer? Um, if you don't mind me asking. Oh, can. I don't care. Um, I don't think directly, but I think indirectly that, yes, um, the demise of my marriage had a little bit to do with my cancer. Okay. I mean, I'm going to be blunt. Um, you're, you're, a, you're, you're a new menopausal woman who did not get to gradually go into menopause. Um, sex was not enjoyable. Um, no matter what we did, it felt like sandpaper. It was just one of those, oh my God, how much longer do I have to endure this? So I guess I couldn't necessarily blame him if he stepped out. Um, there was no discussion of it, um, but you know, it was one of those things where it was just, it was horrible. Mm -hmm. And um, in one of the support groups I attended, that one of the ther therapists said, you know, when you think about it, the stuff that happened on the outside of your body was also happening internally. So you had a sore on your head that was painful. You had sores in your mouth. So you had those everywhere else. We don't know if they were healed or not. And, you know, trying to explain that to someone who is not going through it was really tough. And, um, you know, for newly diagnosed people, even if you're not support group type, I gained so much information from my what I call seasoned survivors in the support groups. It, they, they, they turn something that's really sad and painful into humor. And, I mean, one woman was a two-time breast cancer survivor. She had names for both of her fake boobs. I mean... <laughs> You know, that. we when when some of our ladies had mastectomies and got their reconstruction, we we had nipple parties when they got their nipples. <laughs> you know, you have to make the best of of a situation. And yeah. I mean, when I was first diagnosed, I I looked at my husband and I said, I don't know why this had to happen to me. Why didn't your ex wife get this? Because she's a mean person and I'm not. And I realized later, it's because. She would have been an extremely mean, bitter woman about the diagnosis. And I went a different direction with it. I didn't embrace it, but at the same time, it's like, hey, I, this is part of me now. And I was able to attend a retreat put on by Casting for Recovery. And that what is was that? really... What is Casting for Recovery? Casting for Recovery is an organization that provides fly fishing retreats at no oh. cost to breast cancer survivors at any age and any stage. It is an international um, 501c3 company or organization, not company. And um, if people, people can go online and Google castingforrecovery.org and see if there's a retreat in their state. Oh, that's fun. And then they can sign up for it. Well, I didn't, I was an alternate. It was the second retreat that we had here in Arizona. And when I got the call that said I was an alternate, I was like, well, that's interesting. And my husband's like, well, you don't fish. And I said, I know, but it's a free retreat. Why not? Exactly. <laughs> Why not? The ladies I rode up with, we carpooled up. We had the best time. We had the rowdy party cabin. I know you can't imagine me in a rowdy party cabin. <laughs> but 
in addition to learning, I mean, being exposed to fly fishing, I never learned how to fly fish because I didn't continue with it. I also learned a lot about myself on that weekend retreat, and it was very, very powerful. I looked so around. So what did you learn? Oh, I looked around, and I was like, huh, she hides behind her kids. Hmm. She's funny. She should do stand-up. <gasps> oh, defense mechanism. And as I was kind of looking around the room, all of a sudden, I stopped dead in my tracks, and I was like, shit, I hide behind work. And that was a real realization for me that I was like, you know what? I have been, that was my defense mechanism. That was, that's how I buried it. And from that point on, it was like, I can't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. I came home and a couple months later, I quit my job and I started my own business. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> Although I feel like that might take up more of your time. <laughs> well, it, it, but it wasn't, yeah, it does. Yeah. But I mean, I'm still self-employed yeah. after all those years. And, but the other thing it, it really did was it, it really sealed the importance of having a support group, a sisterhood. I mean, I don't want to call it a support group because people shy away from that term, but just a group of people that get it. I don't have to explain it to you. You get it. All I have to say is, oh yeah, blah, blah, blah. Pick a, pick a subject, a topic, and you know, you get the eye roll and the smile. It's like, you get it. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people don't. I mean, I've had people that say, well, you know, people, I mean, I'm single now. I'm, I'm <clears throat> dating and people will, yeah, trying to, people will say, well, do you, did, do, do, yeah, yes, I have them. <laughs> <laughs> Is that on the first date or <laughs> after? Sometimes it's before. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. But I mean, and I'm, oh, I'm totally open with it. It's like, you can ask me any question you want. Right. And better to be upfront about it from the beginning rather than kind of get in a little bit deeper and then realize like that person just isn't cut out for dealing with something like that. Correct. That they might have, maybe they lost somebody to breast cancer and they don't want to deal with that whole thing again or whatever. But I mean, it's not like it's the first intro either. It, there is a, there is a lead in into it as far (laughs) as, well, how did you find out about this? Oh, because of breast cancer. I'm a breast cancer survivor. And then the questions, you know, start, which again, I, to me, I would much rather be an open book. And I've, I have a, a philosophy in my life. It's like, I don't have forbidden subjects. Yeah. I may not want to answer that question with you on the telephone. I may want to have a face-to-face with you on that one. Or I may not want to answer that today, but I'm glad you asked. Yeah. So. And so have you had any potential dates where they have kind of backed away when you shared that information with them? Well, since I, since my dating, <laughs> the dating thing is pretty sad. Um, no, I have not. The, okay. the, the couple of gentlemen that I have said something about my cancer, they are, they don't, they, they want to know, you know, like, well, what if I do this? And I said, well, that side hurts. And because I had a lift and reduction on the other side, because of scar tissue issues on the breast cancer side, um, there's not a lot of feeling left. Mm-hmm. I mean, they respond, they look like they're feeling, but... <laughs> I don't feel anything except, you know, pain on the one side and kind of nothing on the other. Right. Well, <laughs> but I'm, I'm up front with them. It's like, look, yeah. you know. <laughs> no, I think that's great. I mean, I think, um, you know, again, just being forward about that information. Um, and I think it's a balance. Like you've got to find that that timing, you know, where it's not exact, you know, exactly what you said. Like the very first thing that you talked about, like just 
blasting it out there on a billboard. Um, <laughs> but having that conversation so that you don't get too far into it and then realize like, oh, you know, that person's going to jump ship. Right. Um, so, yeah. And, you know, I, I, at this point in my life, it's kind of like, well, I am who I am. You are who you are. None of us comes without any baggage. You know, I don't like to carry my bags, but, you know, I try to leave it in a backpack so it's not really big, but <laughs> it's just part of who I am. I mean, absolutely. I can't change it. So, right. And if, if you're not equipped to handle it, I mean, then that's okay. We don't have to do anything, but we can be friends. You know, yeah. I can be your friend. I want oh, to be your romantic partner. <laughs> yeah, I, that's great. That's great. In terms of um, like one piece of advice that you would offer somebody who is newly diagnosed, uh, what 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 would you offer to that person? I would say get yourself into some type of a support group. Um, a lot of the hospitals offer them. And the only reason I'm suggesting it is because you're going to see a doctor. They're going to say, well, you need, you can, cho- you can choose this or this or this. Well, you're shell shocked. You have no idea what radiation might entail. There's different forms of radiation now. You, you have no idea what, what are the, what's the pros and cons of a mastectomy, a bilateral, a lumpectomy, radiation. I mean, what, 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 uh, what? the people in the support group will give you the good, the bad, and the ugly. And they will also tell you, this doctor has crap bedside manner, but oh my God, look at the finished product. (laughs) (laughs) You know, if you're looking for someone to hold your hand and coddle you, you might want to go talk to this person. And I think you get much better candid information. In addition, the support groups also have information on other things available to breast cancer survivors at no charge or nominal fees. I mean, it's because of a support group that I found Casting for Recovery. It's because of support group that I found Dragon Boating with the Arizona Dragon Boat Association. And I mean, had it not been for two people showing up at one of my little meetings and talking about it and me getting all excited and going out there and then coming home and telling my husband, yeah, I'm going to join this team. And he's like, oh, really? Another thing (laughs) you're going to do without me? And I went, okay, well, my dad's kind of sick, so I better, I better not. And as it turned out, God works in mysterious ways. My father passed away the year that I was going to join the Dragon Boat team. And the next year, in that, in that uh, fall, my husband left. And I sat at my house in January going, I hope those ladies come back because I don't know what it was called, but it looked so cool. <laughs> and sure enough, they did. And awesome. I've been a Dragon Boat person ever since. Wonderful. Well, I think that's a great piece of advice, and I'm sure that anybody that's listening to our podcast will find value in your story. So I appreciate you coming here and being so willing and being so open. I know that we've talked about um, a lot of different topics, and um, some are super personal and intimate. So I appreciate you being willing to share. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of Behind the Pink Ribbon. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. If you or anyone you know would be interested in sharing your story, please send an email to podcast at behindthepinkribbon.com. You've been listening to Behind the Pink Ribbon, produced by American Creative Consulting, mixed and mastered at Riverview Podcasting Studios. 
For more information, please visit designbyacc.com.